0: Chapter Seventeen Dorothy Dale's Queer Holidays This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne Dorothy Dale's Queer Holidays by Margaret Penrose. Chapter Seventeen Spruce boughs and laurel wreaths. Mrs. Brownlow's immense parlors were stripped of all movable furniture in preparation for the charity entertainment. Strong linen crash covered the handsome carpets, and the camp stools to be used on the evening of the performance had already arrived. That afternoon, the Firebird brought the evergreens from the cedars, those which had been gathered some few days before and had since been stored carefully in the garage, and an additional supply came from Ferndale, the result of an enterprising expedition to the woods, under the management of Miss Agnes Sinclair. Besides a necessary rehearsal, the evening was to be spent in decorating for the play. Mrs. White had requested everyone to be on hand early, and now the young folks were arriving. Little Mary Marne was the first to come, in accordance with Dorothy's arrangements, for Mary was to rehearse her part before the others would get there, and just what her number would be was to be kept secret. The Brownly girls, Eva and Edith, understood the remark Dorothy made as she entered, and so left the parlours entirely at her disposal even locking the door from the hall and throwing open the library to accommodate anyone who might come before Mary's, practice was over. A recitation had been selected for Mary, one that afforded ample opportunity for the girl's natural talent to act, for she had talent, and both Mrs. White and Dorothy were delighted with the prospect of what the queer child would add to the program. There was something so weird about Mary, if that word might be fitly used to denote her peculiar characteristics. She was not deformed, but she surely was deficient physically. She was thin to emaciation, she had fiery red hair, and Roger always declared her eyes and eyebrows were just as red as her hair. The recitation chosen for her was guilty or not guilty and it seemed to suit her strangely. Of course, when a child is almost constantly in the company of aged persons, and takes no pleasure in play, besides being over-studious, she is bound to be queer. And such was Mary Marne. When Dorothy threw open the parlour door after the rehearsal, her face was radiant. She was pleased, delighted with Mary, and the girls waiting to be admitted to the hall exchanged knowing glances when Dorothy told them the room was ready. Tom and Roland were there, Agnes Sinclair, Mabel Hastings, Ned and Nat. Of course, Tavia was with Eva Brownlie, chatting as if there was nothing else to be done that evening. Betty Binley managed to get her dainty little self secure with Harold Osborne. Handsome Harold they called him, and others of the auxiliary and their friends were there ready to begin the work of rehearsing and decorating. Besides the pictures there was to be music, the Brownly girls played the violin beautifully, and Dorothy was an acknowledged pianist. Then Agnes Sinclair was to entertain with monologues, and the boys were to have a vocal double quartet. "'The arranging of this program involved considerable work, "'so tonight there was no time to be wasted. "'Let's get the wreaths first, proposed Dorothy. "'We shall need such long strings to go all around the room. "'While some of us are at these, "'others can be going through their parts.' "'Tom grabbed a huge mass of broken laurel branches, "'made his way to a corner, "'placed two chairs before the pile of greens,' and deliberately sought out Dorothy. "'Come,' he said very kindly. "'I've got a quiet job for you. "'You usually get too much of the all-around business. "'Let us run a race making the wreath or strings. "'I suppose you want.' "'Here, Ned,' he called across the room. "'Get your stuff and your girl, "'and I'll race you for a mile of green string. "'Could anything be more inopportune?' to select Dorothy to be his partner against Ned in a race. But the idea of a contest was quickly taken up by the others so that soon the party had paired off and racing with the strings of Laurel became a matter of enjoyment and not a question of work. Dorothy took her place with Tom, Agnes Sinclair was with Ned, Nat went to work with Eva Brownlie and Tavia sat beside Roland. How quickly the fingers flew, and how soon the small sprigs of green were twined into long, soft garlands. I'll keep tally, proffered Edith Brownlie, glad to escape the more certain duty of tying the cords about the boughs. For an hour all worked and chatted gaily, the boys continually betting against bets, while the girls would complain that too much conversation interfered with the progress of the race. "'When the full hour had passed, Edith called, "'Time.' "'Then the measuring began. "'No stretching,' warned Ned, "'as he held his rope of green "'against that which Tom and Dorothy had woven. "'Ours,' called Tom, "'as the one string pulled out two yards longer than the other. "'Then every other strand was measured against that. "'Not one came up to the garland made by Dorothy and Tom. "'Oh, of course,' pouted Eva.' "'Dorothy and Tom could not possibly have been beaten. "'They're such a strong team.' "'The others laughed, although Dorothy did not like the remark. "'Ned lifted his eyebrows thoughtfully, "'but never once smiled at Dorothy's triumph. "'Tavia has the booby,' announced Tom, "'who had done all the measuring. "'Now distribute the prizes, please.' "'Tavia protested. "'Of course.' and soon the room was in an uproar. Finally the ladies insisted the wreaths should be put up, and when the chairs and stepladders had been brought, the boys began festooning the long strings of green about the room, over windows and doors, and about the finely fluted posts that marked the arches. Dorothy purposely took Ned's rope to hold for him. "'Won't it look pretty?' she asked trying to show her interest in his work. Guess so, he answered indifferently, without looking at his cousin. Here, Dorothy, called Tom. You are not to work. This sofa is especially provided for our comfort. Here, sit down. And taking her arm, he attempted to lead her away from the ladder upon which Ned stood. Let me have it, said Ned, jerking the rope from Dorothy's grasp instinctively she held to it, and looked up in some astonishment at her cousin. A moment later Ned swayed toward her. She had released her hold of the rope, and the sudden easing of the strain which the youth had put upon it caused him to lose his balance. He swayed still farther away from the ladder, and thrust out his hands to grasp the rungs. He dropped the rope, and as Dorothy gave a frightened scream, he crashed to the floor, right at her feet, narrowly missing, striking her. She had barely time to jump aside when the ladder crashed down beside the prostrate form of Ned. Instantly the room was in an uproar. Ned was hurt. He did not attempt to move, but lay there almost unconscious. "'Oh, my boy!' cried Mrs. White, bending over him. "'Ned, Ned!' implored the frightened Dorothy, with her white face very close to his. "'It was all my fault.' "'No!' spoke up Tom. "'I should not have distracted him while he was up so high. "'Come, boy,' to Ned, "'let me lift you.' The strong arms of Tom Scott encircled the helpless one, and very tenderly Ned was lifted, then carried to a lounge in the library. "'Oh, I'm all right.' he managed to say, when Tom had placed him on the couch, I just hurt my knee, I guess. The expression of pain that crossed his face showed plainly some member was injured, and Mrs. Brownly, in spite of his protests, insisted on calling a doctor. Dorothy wanted to cry. She felt it was somehow her fault. If only Tom had not interfered, but of course he meant no harm yet she knew how Ned felt. Oh dear, she sighed aloud. I did feel that something would happen. I'm sorry, said Ned feebly. I was a goose to snap it so, Doro. Tom had gone out to the telephone in the hall. Mrs White and Mrs Brownly advised the others to leave off the decorating until the next day, as it would be best to get the house quiet. "'Every shock has a nervous reaction,' explained Mrs. Brownlie, "'in dismissing her guests thus suddenly, "'and it will be best to keep him quiet until the doctor comes.' "'Tavia wanted to stay, but not even Dorothy was accorded that privilege. "'Tom remained with Mrs. White, and Nat went for the Firebird, "'in which to take his brother and mother home, "'there being no room for the others in it now.' How did it happen? Tavia asked of Dorothy, as they walked the short distance home in Roland's company. I had hold of his rope, replied Dorothy, still showing her distress, and he attempted to take it. He acted so queerly all evening, commented Tavia. I never saw him so cross. I did not notice it, said Roland, touching the bell at the door of the cedars. I thought him in the best of spirits. Of course, it was simply an accident, added Dorothy. How he felt could have had nothing to do with it. Well, everything seems queer, declared Tabia. I just wonder how it will all turn out. That must depend entirely upon ourselves, insisted the practical Dorothy. But we will have trouble in getting someone to take Ned's place. Oh, dear! If I had only-but there's no use lamenting. And when Roland said good night at the door, Dorothy went directly to her own room. She was too depressed to join the family's expression of anxieties. The queer holidays were surely nearing a climax. End of chapter 17.